0: Welcome to Talking Late Night, where we spotlight top comedians and their late night influences. Here's your host, Max Cantor. Hey everybody and welcome to Talking Late Night. I'm your host Max Cantor and today on the show I have an improviser who began at Whole World Theater and is now a main stage performer over at the Village Theater in Atlanta, Georgia. He's a member of multiple improv teams including Diet Mountain Thunder and he's also an improv instructor and teacher. So please welcome to the show Ibanez Downtain. Welcome to the show Ibanez. Hey,
1: what's up
0: man? Thanks for having me. Uh I I will tell you this so um for anyone listening, I've been, as you uh you were my teacher in level 1, level 1 improv over at the village. And I remember I kind of knew by like the second or third class I wanted to ask you to be a guest on my show, but like I didn't know you. We'd only interacted maybe <laughs> 2 weeks for 2 hours each, like I knew you for 4 total hours. And I the week I was ready for it, I I showed up to class and I was like I'm going to ask him. Today's the day I'm going to say, "Will you be on my show?" And then you were gone because you had your baby.
1: Yeah, that was a weird level one class just because I did have a baby, and that's never happened before. So it was weird for a lot of reasons, but it's the first level one class that I didn't, like, teach the whole thing the whole time. Somebody else had to step in. So it was weird teaching the first part, missing some, and then the last part.
0: It was cool, though. I will have to say as, a, as the student in it, it was cool because not only did we get your views on teaching, we got Claybo's views on teaching, and then we also got Carrie's views. So we got, like, three different teachers for the price of one. So I, I, was, yeah. I, was, very, I was happy with it. I didn't care.
1: Yeah. I, with improv, for sure, that's, like, I live by that. Like, do not just have one person teach you improv because it's so different for everybody. What works for me won't work for other people. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I resonate with people and they just it clicks and they're like, "Yeah, you're." I understood everything you said. And then sometimes I have people hate my guts who think that I don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's the great thing about improv.
0: As a teacher, as a teacher, how long does it take you to figure out whether a student likes you or not?
1: Um, Well, that's there's been differences. Uh, There was one student that I knew hated me from day one, (laughs) and then like. I'm talking like 10 minutes in. Like, he, there was just something about me he did not like. And uh, sometimes it'll be like around class five or six when they start, like, getting that look on their face when I'm explaining something. Yeah. I'm like, Ooh, I don't think they like me. Mm. And then by the final class, I'm like, yeah, they hate me.
0: Mm. Do, do you alter how you teach depending on, like, the chemistry you have with the class?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, just because I want, you know different people hear things differently. Like I could present something to one student and they not receive it the same way as somebody else. So really like it kind of falls to the know your audience thing where you kind of got to know your student too.
0: Mm. How, how long did it take you uh, uh, to be able to teach what you knew as an improviser?
1: Um. Well, a long time. I I started doing improv when I was 13. So, I didn't really start teaching at all until I was like 19 or so. And then, which was a nightmare because anytime I would try to teach anybody anything, they were always older than I was. So they would be like, I'm not listening to this kid (laughs) at all. Cause they were just like, he's been doing it. What? Like four days, even though (laughs) at that point I had been doing it for six years
0: right did when you first started teaching, did you look uh, at like how other people had taught you, or did you jump in and you were like i have I have my lessons that I want to share, how did you look at it
1: so I was really nervous when I first started because I was like, man, I mean I still felt like I, even today I don't feel like I know everything there is to know about improv, you know, and I don't think anybody ever will because uh, everybody's still figuring it out, that's why there's so many books that come out and stuff like that because we're still all figuring it out so at the time though being 19 I was like man why why am I somebody somebody should listen to you know mm. it, I I wasn't sure I didn't know if what I had to offer was that good but once I started teaching I got a lot more comfortable with it and uh, at first I definitely stuck to the ways that I had been taught from other people and then as time went on I kind of started adding in pieces that worked for me and fully forming my own kind of teaching style.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, you said you started doing improv when you were 13. What originally attracted you to the art form?
1: Um, well, I grew up uh, in a kind of different household. My dad uh, scored films uh, all growing up. So he would work with a lot of different like independent film groups and things like that based around Atlanta. And uh, I always loved stuff like that. At a young age, and finally, I told my dad you know i I love the film projects you work on, and I love the guys who would come over to the house and hang out and like I got really close with some of like the directors and writers of those different groups and eventually, they started adding me into some of their movies is like anytime they needed a kid, I was the only kid they knew <laughs> uh, and the other good thing was I was homeschooled after fifth grade, so like they could come and pick me up on you know, like Any daytime, and I go shoot for a few hours, and eventually, I realized, like after watching Who's Line, that that was something I could do. That was like not just that TV show. There was theaters in Atlanta that did I told my mom, and not too long after, I signed up at Whole World and started doing it there.
0: Wow! So that's really cool that you were introduced to like the entertainment industry and like creativity. At such an early age but why didn't was music ever an interest to you because it seemed like you were interested immediately in the acting side but not the music side
1: well it's uh it's funny i'm the only person in my family named after an instrument Uh, my dad plays the ibanez guitar but i'm also the only person in my family that cannot play an instrument so uh i picked up the guitar a little bit but I sucked at it. It just wasn't for me. My little brother picked it up too, like around the same time, and was like blowing me out of the water. So I was like, nah, this isn't my thing. And uh, growing up, my older brothers used to get really mad all the time because my parents would let me talk in funny voices or do whatever they encouraged me being silly. And because of that, I very, very rarely spoke in my own voice. I would always be like, you know, one day I'd be a little French dude or I might be trying to pick up some weird voice I heard Adam Sandler doing or something like that. And my older brothers, I remember it like one in particular uh, would be like, mom, please make him speak in his own voice. And my mom would be like, oh, Zach, I don't know if th- he even knows what that is at this point. <laughs> it just pissed my older brothers off. So they kind of always encouraged it. And it just felt like that's the direction I was headed.
0: So when you were doing these silly voices and, like, just acting like a goofball, did you know, like, that you wanted to be a comedian, or were you just being yourself?
1: Um, no, I mean, I kind of knew I wanted to be a comedian. Uh, I started watching stand-up at, like, a really young age, probably too young for some of it, (laughs) and, uh, like, in my fifth grade yearbook, actually, uh, it says, like, my picture... A little bit about myself and what I wanted to do when I grow up and uh, I put stand-up comedian uh, which is funny because I've still never tried stand-up comedy but uh, I knew at a pretty early age I wanted to do something in the comedy
0: world Mm -hmm. it's crazy because stand-up and improv are so different they're they're such different mediums so do you think you would ever try stand-up or now that like you've honed in on improv you'll stay there
1: well, I've toyed around with the idea because, like, uh, a couple of years ago, I started diving into sketch a little bit and uh, writing for some sketch shows and stuff like that. And just over the years, all these stories that I have, I was like, I could probably, you know, compile these into a nice little stand-up set. So I've been thinking about it a little bit that maybe I'll take the dive at some point. I just have never done it yet.
0: Mm-hmm. What made you want to get into sketch?
1: Well, I... Always grown up watching sketch. Um, I mean, some of my favorite shows when I was little. My my bedtime was like ten o'clock, but my parents on the weekend said that I was allowed to stay up if it was to watch SNL. I could <laughs> stay up only to watch SNL, and then I had to go to bed after. And of course, I at first I just was like, cool, then I'll watch whatever that is. I started watching it and then looking forward to it. So all the theaters I had performed at, it had never been offered like sketch hadn't. And finally, uh, Ryan Archibald, um, second city was coming down to teach a group of people sketch and direct a sketch show. And I was asked if I wanted to be a part of it and said, yeah. So uh, I actually was really lucky to get to learn sketch from him and, uh, put on a great show. It's a completely different beast than improv though.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. What what do you think for you, uh, being an improviser, having an improviser mindset, what was the biggest challenge you had to overcome when doing sketch?
1: Um, writing uh, in general. Mainly, like, we'd get assignments, like, cool, I want you to write, you know, a scene about blank and have it, you know, in a week. And I'd go home and bang my head against the wall trying to think of anything to write and everything in improv you have to make a decision right then
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: it's sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but it's there and then it's gone so it's okay with a sketch everything I would write wouldn't feel like it wasn't funny at all and then I would overthink it or it's just funny how that happens and to the point where I was writing I ended up writing a rap song for one of the sketch uh, (laughs) shows that we did and I hated it. I thought it was, I was like, this is not funny. I do not like this. Um, but going in, bringing it to the group, you know, we all kind of worked on it together and it ended up winning best sketch, uh, at the little award ceremony that we hold every year. And, uh, so yeah, it was just funny looking back thinking, Man, I really hated that and it won best sketch, so (laughs) I think I'm just not good by myself.
0: I think you brought up a really good point though because like in improv the decision making is so fast. Like you don't have time to sit there and think. I mean the whole point of it is to not think and just go. But with sketch, mm-hmm. you you sit down at a keyboard or with a pen and paper, whatever, and it's just all the ideas you filter through and it's just so overwhelming. But it's so interesting. If if in sketch we just sat down and wrote like we did with improv, I feel like we could produce so much more, but we don't like we think we overthink it, which is so true. That is so true.
1: Yeah. One of the, that's actually one of the, you know, tools that we would use in sketch is Like when we would all meet up, we would do scenes, Mm. you know, do improv and then find the ideas that really worked, find the ideas that we really liked and write and refine some of the improv scenes we did was a big part of the sketch writing process. Mm -hmm. So, and that made it so much easier and some of the more successful scenes that we had in our sketch show was were scenes that we improvised first.
0: Mhm. Yep, yeah, my uh I have a friend Kevin uh Kevin McDonald who was with Kids in the Hall and I was talking to him one day about writing sketches and he told me with Kids in the Hall that's how they would come up with a lot of their sketches. They would like improvise conversations, they would do scenes and then through that they would write their sketches. And for me, like when it comes to writing, I haven't written that much, but when I have done it, it's been improvising with one other person or two other people cuz it it's like what we were saying with improv, you just shut off your mind, you get all these ideas going and then you can write from that.
1: Yeah, it makes things way easier. Uh my brain works better when it doesn't think.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm yeah i I can totally relate to that i could never i could never sit down in a room by myself and like write a sketch or write a show. I always have to be with somebody bouncing ideas off to find like the top of the hill and then go with that
1: a hundred percent um it is something I'm working on though is trying to teach myself to write by myself and be more confident in my ideas mm-hmm. um, because I've noticed that it does just help even my improv uh just because i 've sat and I've thought about comedy for you know all day trying to write something it, it just sharpens up some of the tools that your brain uses all the time, so it 's been really helpful just to try and work through that and learn to write by myself
0: mhm yeah I, for sure it 's something I definitely need to work on, so that 's cool hearing you say it because yeah, I have to work on that, and I find too, like throughout the day. I I have a very active mind. So throughout the day I'll constantly be thinking of like uh I'll see something and be like, "Oh, that's funny. That's funny." and just take mental notes of things for the future. So it's always it's always going on in my head, but it's about sitting down and doing it, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. I I do that all the time and then forget what I said was funny later on. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to get better at writing stuff down
0: too. <laughs> <laughs> so uh you Uh, do improv a lot, you're performing all the time at the Village Theater Um, what has been in all the years that you've been performing there can you think of like a moment for you where you could realize oh I'm getting good at this like I've reached a point where I feel confident in my abilities?
1: Yeah Uh, so there was a a time when I was getting really good in the cast that I was in um, having great shows regularly um and it was before i was at the main stage uh point so i guess when i was you know 19 or so and they brought me up to the main cast and it was funny because all of the people in main cast had taught me at whole world theater uh when i was 13 i knew i've known these guys for years and years Mm. and it was so different performing with them (laughs) that i was having trouble doing it i was in my head too much um it's kind of like those people that you look up to your whole life you're finally performing with them and you're expected to be on their level and you know they were my idols, so i didn't feel like i was and i remember the show that it clicked in one of the guys in the cast justin hall uh i just like wouldn't get out there we'd be doing scenes and i'd just stay on the sideline and eventually he just started pushing me literally pushing me <laughs> onto the stage and I would just have to figure something out and as soon as he did that a few times and every time he did it the scenes worked out and were fine I started like letting go a little bit and realizing like oh you know what if I actually just get out here and do it I'm so much better than I'm giving myself credit for and it started clicking and me getting better and better and it those shows where he was pushing me out there definitely made me realize I can hang.
0: Mm. Did you have it for you uh, where the scenes would almost slow down in a way where it did, wasn't as rapid fire. You could kind of like relax and just kind of chill yourself way uh, throughout uh, the scene. Do you know what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah, I do. Um, yeah. Like even scenes that were going, you know, to the audience are like, man, that was lightning fast. It felt slow for me being in it mm-hmm. just because it was, Became effortless almost just because I found my rhythm and I found who I was, what I wanted to say, you know? Um, But the other thing that I found too, is like speed doesn't always matter. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's my favorite way to play now is I love going out on stage and playing it slow. And it kind of has an effect on the audience where they all kind of lean in wondering what's going to happen and, you know, showing that I'm confident and I don't have to come out and be huge or be talking about a million miles a minute is. I think something that every improviser can use, but it's one of my very favorite things to do on stage.
0: Mm-hmm. Silence is such an amazing tool in improv. And it's also, it's it, it's an amazing tool because there's so much comedy that can be used with a silent pause. But then it also kind of makes the audience lean in a little bit. It makes all the other improvisers lean in a little bit. And when you slow it down, it just totally changes up the pace of things. So yes, I agree. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I mean, just, just slowing down in general is something that can help partners get on the same page, you know? I mean, half of the time when a scene's not working, it's because you have two different improvisers trying to do two different things. If one of them just slows down and listens, it can completely change your show.
0: Mm-hmm. And speaking of, like, two improvisers on a, two different pages, obviously, as improvisers, we've all had a scene that's bombing, that's failing, it's not clicking— it's going poorly. So what are some tools that you've learned over the years to save a sinking scene?
1: Um, so there's two things that I found that work the absolute best. The easiest way to put it is be affected. But, and when I say that, I mean, either you be affected or affect your partner, like say something that you know will affect your partner or be affected. You know, it doesn't matter how small it is. It could be something like, Oh, uh, I picked up bread. Oh my God, you picked up bread, and make that matter to you more than anything. Mm-hmm. And that can change a scene, you know, even if it's flown off the rail. Just be affected.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's about it's the emotion.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. And and making sure that we're not just playing in our head. You know, we're not just going off of listening and like thinking but actually feeling too you know like decide how something makes you feel and have a want a lot of scenes go nowhere because you won't want anything you know Uh, the scene will start your character will not have a purpose so give them one give them something they want out of that scene or want out of you know that character's life and your scene will pick up
0: hmm Yeah, I mean, as soon as you have that want, even if you weren't thinking about incorporating an emotion, it gives you an emotion, you know? You're, you're either frustrated yeah. you don't have the want or you're happy that you do have the want or, you're, you know, you're longing because the other person has the want that you need. Or, it just immediately gives you an emotion, and then that continues the mm-hmm. story. Yeah, 100%. I remember uh, – you know Cassidy, Cassidy Russell. She actually is a former yeah. guest on this show. Uh, but she, oh, nice. uh, I remember she once told in a class that she co-taught that I was in. She said that one of the most fun things you can do in an improv scene is just to start crying. That's like the, one of the most fun things. Yeah. And at the t- I didn't understand. Like I was like, that. what? I don't get that at all. But then I saw as I grew as an improviser and I grew watching other people do it, It's like what you were saying. It's just finding what affects you. And if that means you cry, that's fun. That's fun to cry. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, totally. Like, some of the most fun in improv is not even the things that are hilarious, but just the things that you can really be affected by and really play at. Like, when you lose yourself in a scene, whether it's serious, funny, silly, you know, intense, anything, it's... uh. It, that's the most fun part about improv is losing your base reality and completely giving into the reality of your
0: scene. Mm-hmm. I, love, I love when you were either in an improv scene or watching it and you see – so they started with their base reality and it's going, it's going, going. And as soon as that game starts and you're like, oh, I know where th- this is going to be good, This whatever yeah. the wackiness is introduced, it makes it so much fun.
1: Yeah. And you can feel it, you know, uh, you can feel it in the audience. You can feel it on stage when the scene clicks, when you both, and sometimes it's, you know, as soon as the lights are up and you can tell, you're like, oh man, this is, this is going to be great. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think a big part of that is, you know, just the improviser's ability to to connect on stage. Mm -hmm. If the improvisers are connecting on stage, the audience has something to connect to.
0: Mm -hmm. I will say, uh, you actually watching you, before I knew you, uh, it was earlier this year at the Atlanta Improv Festival, and I was watching you, uh, Chris Clabo, and Ryan Archibald do a scene together. And I remember it very clearly, Mm -hmm. because it really impacted me and my outlook on improv. You guys were making clay pots, And you were just talking. That was the whole thing. You were just making clay pots and talking and you were just talking, talking, talking. And all of a sudden, Ryan Archibald brings up that he had just returned from his gay conversion therapy and it just took the conversation a completely new way. But it really opened my eyes to when a scene is going one way, you can introduce something and make it go somewhere else or introduce something and make it go somewhere else. And it's the emotion but you can take it on a roller coaster type of ride, and I never really realized it until you did it.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's and that's totally right. Like I've taught people improv, and then be like, "Well, I just really hated the scene I was at, and I didn't know how to get out." Well, it's up to you. However, mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't matter. It's improv. It's all made up, so you can make up any reason why it will change why the scene is different without negating your partner or saying no to something that they're doing. Mm -hmm. You can add another element that will completely change it.
0: Right. Introduce new information about the relationship, where you are, what's going on. And it takes it in a completely different direction, which is super cool.
1: Yeah. So I think, uh, playing to the top of your intelligence is something that's said a lot in improv. And I think it gets confused a lot. Hell, I I might even have it wrong. But to me, playing to the top of your intelligence is the same as when somebody is trying to be a character and you don't know what they're trying to do. The fact that you don't know anything about their character because they have not given any kind of information about them is great because you now know everything about their character. Anything Mm -hmm. you say is true. So if you don't know anything, if somebody hasn't given you enough information, you can fill that gap. And make it whatever you think it is. So, mm-hmm. playing to the top of your intelligence is just what is the intelligence of your partner. If you're best friends with somebody, and you don't know anything about them as the actor. Anything you say is true. You're their best friend.
0: Mm-hmm. It, improv is such a team sport. It is. It's so all about yeah. teamwork. Have you felt? Have you felt that because you're an improviser that you just naturally get along with other people?
1: Um, yeah, uh, for sure. And I don't. It's something that I've always wondered just because I started so young. Mm -hmm. I was like, I wonder if I am easygoing and easy to get along with because of improv or if I was really just like that always. Mm. And I don't know, but I definitely dedicate a lot of what's happened in my life to improv and just having that background to fall back on. A fun fact, I've never gone out for a job interview and not gotten the job. Wow. And I dedicate that to improv mm-hmm.
0: 100%. Mm-hmm. I mean, improv, I- even if you're not an improviser, you can apply the rules of it and the foundations of it to like everything, everything in mm-hmm. life. And it makes things yeah, I so mean, much just easier. Being
1: a good partner means mm-hmm. so much of everything. It's being a good partner helps you at work, it helps in a marriage, it helps literally for anything you do.
0: Mm-hmm. Being a good partner, being a good listener, and then obviously, you know every everyone wants to be a good storyteller uh to be able to tell yeah. good stories about what happened at the party what happened at work or whatever and i think improv helps with that when you recount a story you're improvising a monologue of what occurred
1: yeah yeah it it all helps and lends itself to everyday life
0: mhm do you have do you have a like a specific improv memory or scene that stands out in your head as like one of your favorite?
1: Um, yeah, I do. So it's something that I look back on and I love it, but it's the worst show that I ever did. Um, huh. It was absolutely a train wreck from start <laughs> to finish. It was me, Chris Clabo, and Gil Rogers. And we were performing at this thing called Fire in the Fourth, and it's in the old Fourth Ward. Um, and it's a festival they do every year. We were asked to perform, and uh, we had like an hour-long brick uh, in the middle of the street where we were going to be improvising. Uh, Gil brought his keyboard, so we were probably, uh, we were going to try freestyle rapping about things that we saw in Fire in the Fourth and like different people, Uh, and it was going to be fun. You know, we've done stuff like that before. It was a... Hellish nightmare of biblical (laughs) proportions. We got there and we like set up, and there was a DJ across the way who was blasting his music. And anytime we would try and like turn our mics up or anything, he would turn up as well, so like drown us out. Um, and then like we started trying anyway because we had an hour to fill to do like scenes or to do anything, and like people would walk by and just be like, "Oh no." Mm -hmm, I'm not watching this my mom was there and my mom was like oh oh sweetheart that was just bad that was (laughs) the worst thing I've ever seen so like having your mom tell you how bad something was and how much of a failure something was (laughs) is it was totally I had loved it I thought it was so funny just because I mean in improv you fail like it's gonna happen nobody is perfect every show Nobody has a good show every show, mm-hmm. but that was the biggest failure I had ever had. And like Claybo, Gil, and I knew it like from the first five minutes. And we looked at each other and was like, all right, guys, buckle up. This is about to be bad for an hour straight.
0: Oh, and it no. was,
1: and we wrote it out and it was a party. It was, it was some of the most fun I've ever had, but that audience, anybody walking around hated us. And I don't blame them. I hated us that day. too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I guess a positive is it can't ever get that bad again, right? I mean, that's a positive. Yeah,
1: yeah, uh, for sure. And I mean, sometimes being the bad, being bad is fun, though. Like being the guy that people boo can be fun. Uh, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, there was a show where we were playing a game called Challenge, and the whole point is to challenge other people's opinions with your own. And they were talking about Lion King, and I was like, hmm, I think the audience will hate this challenge. I think the Lion King is overrated. And feeling an audience turn on you like that is so funny sometimes. (laughs) And then giving yourself the uh, challenge, like, I'm going to turn them on me because I'm going to say I hate the Lion King. And then I'm going to see if I can win them back by the end of the show Mm. uh, is a totally fun game. And Mm -hmm. the audience, they love having somebody to hate on.
0: I agree. It's always fun to have a villain.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's all it comes down to. So, I mean, those kinds of moments are tend to be more memorable to me uh, than others. I mean, I, of course, remember some great shows that I had. Um, I'll never forget. We had a Mario Brothers theme long form set. And it was great. We were using pipes. To get around the whole time, and (laughs) the way that we had used the stage picture Mm -hmm. to to make that happen and have people randomly pop up in scenes, it was just a really well done long form set that I won't ever forget. But explaining improv games and long form sets, there it's never as satisfying as actually seeing it. And Mm -hmm. usually, you sound silly. Like I'll come home and my wife was like, "How's the show?" And I'm like, "It was really good." it was really good. I'm not going to explain anything because it's going to sound ridiculous if I tell you that like Superman actually turned out to be a koala bear, and something, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it worked in the show.
0: Right, right. It's one of those things, and that, that's something I love about improv where uh, because it's so made up and it's so wacky and wild, in the moment, like that is something that only you and the people watching will ever get to experience, and it will yeah. never be replicated ever again.
1: Yeah, 100%. So, so those are the special moments when you share something like that with an audience and walk away like, man, they're going to remember that forever. So will I. And no one else ever will.
0: Right. Oh, totally. Um, so you've done improv for such a long time. So this is a 2 part question. So one, who is your favorite person you've ever gotten to improvise with? And two, if you could improvise with anybody, who would it be? Ooh.
1: Oh, my favorite person I've ever got to improvise with. I, uh, man, that's so hard. I've improvised with so many people over the years. I tell you, one person that I really love to improvise with uh, is Mike King. He's the owner of Village Theater, one of them. And uh, it's funny because Mike King is such like a bull in a china shop uh, that a lot of people have a hard time performing with him. And uh, I made it a goal of mine to work with him and learn how to work with him. And once I crack the code, me and my King have so much fun in our shows that like anytime I'm in a show with him, I know it's going to be crazy. Something may cross a line at some point, who knows? <laughs> uh, but we always have a good time. He's one of my very favorite people to perform with. Uh, and then somebody I'd want to perform with, Oh man, I don't even think, like the people I would want to perform with, I don't think have improv backgrounds necessarily, (laughs) like they probably do a little bit, I don't know enough about them, but I think like somebody who would be really fun to perform with would be like Paul Rudd, I just think I like his energy and I think we would mesh on stage.
0: That is a good choice. That's a very unique choice. Yeah. That, was very, that was very like specific, but yes, I feel like he would be a good improviser. I don't know if he's ever done improv. It wouldn't shock me if he yeah, had. Yeah, I don't either. But he seems... I never even
1: thought about that question, but I was like, who is somebody that I feel like I would mesh with? I feel like I'd mesh with Paul Rudd. I feel like we have a similar, uh, similar outlook on things, and we'd have a fun set.
0: Well, the, whenever they film Ant-Man 3, if there ever is an Ant-Man 3, you should petition to get him to come to the village and do improv
1: I will blast uh, Ant-Man 2 the villain in that movie one of the villains one of the like weird foreign guys uh, he was up at the theater one night after shooting uh, he saw the sketch show I had done hung out and I talked to him for a while he was a nice guy so you know what Paul Rudd might show
0: up next time that's true you never know you never know who's gonna show up first you have a foreign villain and then you have Paul Rudd that's yep. how that's how it that's goes
1: the, yeah that's how the Kevin Bacon game works
0: it's true now uh i i only have one more question for you it's a question i ask every single guest on the show so i think off the top of my head i hope i'm not wrong when i say this i'm pretty sure you're episode 52 so you'll be the 52nd person to answer this question so uh are you are are you ready for it i'm ready all right if you were to give one piece of advice to someone who eventually wants to be in your shoes what piece of advice would you give Ooh,
1: that's pretty good um I think the number one thing would definitely be wanting to choose wisely. This is a very important question. <laughs> um, I mean, it, really what it comes down to is don't take it too serious. I mean, so many people look at this as, you know, and and I don't mean don't take it serious, you should, but they get so serious about it that they – stop themselves from having fun. And I think when you lose the fun out of comedy, that's everything, you know, get serious, but get serious about having fun and about being funny and doing good scene work. And as long as that's what you're serious about, the other stuff that might come through won't affect you as bad. You'll be able to get over it. And you won't lose sight of what you're trying to do, which is make people laugh. So just being too serious, I think, is the one thing to try to avoid.
0: I like it. I, I approve. I mean, all right. You, look, you, you did. It was, the, it was the correct answer. That was perfect. So Ibanez, <laughs> if, uh, if people want to either like see you perform or maybe check out the Village Theater, what are ways they can do that?
1: Oh, man. Well, we do shows every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, we have a great cast any night that you come. We're always doing different things. I know that the last Friday of each month, uh, is the underwear comedy party, which, uh, is standup. Um, we do sketch. We even have, a, a Shakespeare group come in and do a drunken Shakespeare set, uh, on the weekend. So I totally think there's something for everybody. Just come out any shows if you want to see me perform, generally in Friday, Saturday, and Sunday shows. Um, and if you are somebody who likes to drink, come on out to Improv Asshole because it is an improv drinking game that we play with the audience every Saturday night.
0: Well, perfect. Well, thank you, Ibanez, for being on the show. I'm glad I, I got to talk to you and I got to have you on.
1: Yeah, man. Thank you so much, and I will talk to you later.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, And to anybody listening, remember, you can visit us at our website at www.talkinglatenight.com. You can also find us at our Facebook page at Talking Late Night. And you can find us on iTunes where you can rate and leave us a review. So thanks again to Ibanez for being on. Thanks to you for listening. And we'll see you next time.